And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Prodman and Scott Wheeler, both of whom are live at the Scandinavium where the World Juniors just wrapped up. I, it was a good game for two periods there and USA pulls away at the end, but really a, a stellar tournament and I thought it had a fitting final and, and I want to start with that final is ultimately a rematch of, of kind of the 18, under 18 tournament two years ago. Sweden comes out on top in this one, USA has their revenge. Corey, what was the difference this time around for a very similar age group, very similar makeup team for, for Team USA? Well, you know, you go back to the U18s two years ago, and obviously that's been a big point of discussion with with this age group in, in, in the lead-up uh, to this game and even during the tournament. And, you know, uh, USA dominated that game. Uh, the the 04s led by Logan Cooley, Cutter Goche, Rutter McGrory, uh, Isaac Howard, Frank Nazar, Lane Hudson. They were fantastic in that game. They got a ton of scoring chances. And then uh, the Swedish goaltender, Hugo Havlitt, was outstanding in that game. And quite frankly, the USA goaltender, 16-year-old then, Trey Augustine, was quite poor. And a couple of powerful opportunities that Sweden got that capitalized on. Jonathan Lecker, Mackie, Noah Ostwind being very good on the man advantage there for them. And, and today, that just wasn't the case. Yes, I wouldn't say Trey Augustine had the game of his life by any means, but he was good. He made some tough saves when they needed him to. He didn't let in soft goals when they didn't need him to. Uh, and, you know, that was a big difference for them when you knew they were going to have all that talent. You knew they were going to control the tempo of the game. And Hugo Havlitt, frankly, did not have a big game. He had a couple of tough saves. He's a very good junior goalie. But it, it wasn't as one-sided as it was a few years ago. And as well, what the difference from a few years ago now is the O4s really leaned on the O4s. Uh, you know, again, U18 tournament versus U20, there's some differences in physical development. But now at the U20 level, you had the great O4s, like Cutter Goche, Rutger McGrory. Isaac Howard, Frank Nazar, Elaine Hudson, contributing in big ways. But you also had those old fives. Will Smith and Ryan Leonard were basically 12, 13 forwards on the USA team two years ago. And now this time, Will Smith, Ryan Leonard, Gabe Perot, you could argue by the end of the tournament, were USA's best players. Scott, let's go to you on, on that thought there, because uh, Corey's right. I mean, obviously a huge impact on the game. Perot gets the opening goal in this game. Leonard has maybe the dagger goal. And I know you, you talked about kind of the, the theatrics that he brought along with that. How much of an impact did that BC trio have on this game and this tournament by the end? Yeah, they, as Corey mentioned, they did kind of become a storyline here. Uh, the, there was so much attention on the O4s and this whole idea of revenge on the Swedes. But they were huge uh, through the medal round. And it didn't look that way early on in the event. Uh, Ryan Leonard was their best player in kind of a sleepy opening game against Norway. Uh, but outside of Ryan Leonard in that game, really the first three or four games of the tournament, everybody was kind of waiting for that BC line to get going. 
Then suddenly they start clicking when it matters most. They still weren't playing a leading role. They were playing 13, 14 minutes a night here. Next year, they're all eligible returnees. If they all go back to college, which I think would probably be wise for all three of those players, they could go from 13, 14 minutes to 17, 18 minutes, and then you're having a different conversation about them. And yet, in the end, they were both, I think Gabe and Will were both eight, nine points in the tournament through seven games. They were both productive. Uh, and and they this the skill showed up. There was a play tonight where uh, Will Smith gets out on a breakaway. He could have had a, a fourth point of the game uh, if he buries on that breakaway, right? So I think I think that was Smith you're talking about, right? Yeah, Will Smith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and was, I mean, when I was watching them early in the tournament, I was I think I've talked told you guys this before. I was thinking about the all ones when Paul Caulfield and and Turk got and Cam York and Zegras. Uh, went to play as an 18-year-old of the World Juniors. Matt Boldy gets cut from that tournament, and they just couldn't really excel. I know Zegers was really good by the end of it, uh, but it, it, you know, you just thought, okay, maybe it's next year is their year. And that's kind of what I was thinking watching the BC line here, the the 05s, was led by led by Smith Perot and, and Leonard, thinking this is not their year, this is the 04s year. But really, these guys are exceptional hockey players, and they have been torching college hockey and been a big reason why Boston College is a top team in the country right now. And they showed here in the medal round, uh, why they're such impactful players, the skill and creativity of Smith and Perot and, and Ryan Leonard with, he is plenty skilled too, but his compete is off the chart, practically wills USA into that, uh, you know, not, not the game winning goal, but the goal to put the nail on the coffin out muscling Noah Oslin, who is a highly competitive player in his own right for a puck that led to uh, um, Leonard finishing on that chance. Scott, Isaac Howard had a huge uh, thumbprint on this game, maybe paw print on this game, because it, it seemed like he was, in the crucial moment, the guy who who swung it for him. Yeah, and it's been a really nice story. As you guys know, I was at Michigan State uh, about a month ago now, uh, and just in speaking with Adam Nightingale there, he had a tough year last year, right? This is a player who transferred after his freshman season as a first-round pick. That's a pretty rare occurrence. He goes back to Adam Nightingale, who coached him at the national program and often benched him at the national program. Suddenly, Nightingale starts to get the most out of him. Nightingale's talking about how he's winning battles and he's a leader and a tone setter for that team. And Corey and I have sort of talked about it over the course of this tournament as well, but his feet were moving all tournament. He was on pucks. This, this, tonight, particularly, but at least the last week, has been the hardest I've ever seen that guy compete. Yeah. Like he's, he has had times where he's uh, dogged it. In, in my times watching him. But I mean, uh, in this medal round, uh, again, doesn't mean he's going to be doing this for the next 10 years, but, but the Isaac Howard who showed up here, who was giving it his all in every shift uh, was a very impactful player given how skilled he is. And the skating seems to be in a really good place. That wasn't always the case for him. Uh, he was jumping onto loose pucks, winning races. We all know that he lives for this, mo- these types of moments. They don't, call him the Iceman uh, for nothing, right? Like that's that's his identity within this group. I think they turn to him as a bit of a, not a guy who sort of stirs the drink. He's not a driver, uh, never has been a driver, but in terms of his personality, his swagger, I think you see a lot of that both at MSU and the impact he's made on that group, which is a bunch of lunch pail guys. And with this team, a more skilled group, he he carries himself in a little bit of different way. In a little bit of a different way, when the players were speaking about him post game tonight, they said he's our guy. Like he's 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 not a lead. I'm not sure I'd call him a leader. He didn't wear a letter, but a leader in a different way, just in terms of the way that he carries himself, the presence he has. He's he's sort of put it all together this season in a really positive way. And the Lightning have to be 
happy with the way that his year has gone, both here and at MSU. I mean, that line in general was just a, a line full of energy. I mean, I, you love the way that Howard was competing, but man, when you watch someone like, say, Gavin Brindley in this tournament, I, I know the offense wasn't there in the medal round, but that guy's engine is just revving at all times. I mean, he so much speed in his game. He's tiny, but he was uh, winning battles against much bigger opponents consistently. Um, you know, I just, again, that offense didn't generate the... Sorry, that line didn't generate the offense in the later games like you maybe would have hoped, like they did in the earlier games, but it was a very effective line nevertheless. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On defense, Corey, Lane Hudson and Ryan Chesley seem to be the, the go-to pair for the USA. I think Hudson ends up actually at 27 minutes in this gold medal game. He also gets which I did not ever expect to say on this podcast, a fight in the, in the World Juniors against a much bigger combatant in Sweden's Anton Johansson. What was the impact of, of Hudson and Chesley as a pairing for Team USA? Well, we knew coming in, we had talked about it a ton, that the issue with this USA team was going to be their blue line. And I think as the tournament progressed, we started becoming maybe steadily less worried about it. I mean, you know, Sam Renzel had a good tournament, some ups and downs, you know, really bad turnover in the semifinal that, that, that led to the first finish goal. Uh, but in general, you look, you like his size, his mo- you know, his mobility. He was able to carry pucks up, make a decent first pass. Zeke Boyum had an excellent tournament, you know, showed some good progress. Seamus Casey, tough first half of the tournament, better second half in the tournament. But in general, this wasn't a sterling U.S. blue line. This wasn't a, you know, a big, mobile, physical, puck-moving blue line that you think of when you think of the premium World Junior blue lines and how they look. Even something how Sweden looks, where all those guys can skate and move pucks and 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 you know are very competitive players. So they needed Lane Hudson and Ryan Chesley to be big in the important games. And when you think of what Lane Hudson is big, you think of this guy who's dancing around the offensive blue line, using his elusive skating, making scene passes, creating offense, being a highlight reel. He, he, there were times he was trying to do that in this tournament. It didn't really work, though, at the rate that you expect from Lane Hudson. He wasn't that player. He didn't have the 15-point tournament that maybe some Montreal fans hoped. But at the end of the day, when they needed him, he played 30 effective minutes in the gold medal game. He made plays. He made stops. Ryan Chesley, in particular, makes a lot of stops. You know, highly competitive player whose puck moving has never been uh, the hallmark of his game, but he was doing it well enough in this context. And those two guys definitely stepped up for U.S. I think the back-to-back can't be stressed enough either. He didn't just play 27 minutes tonight, right? He played 25 minutes, 24 hours ago as we record this. So it was, I mean, he, he plays back-to-backs at BU and he kind of touched on it post game that these, these kinds of minutes aren't unusual for him at BU. 
but to do it on this stage in that environment in front of that crowd and the defensive sort of acumen of Wayne Hudson was the hallmark of both of these last two games. He defended very, very well. He was competitive. He didn't back down from the moment, uh, really outside of one attempt to clear the zone uh, that he kind of botched where he looked a little weak, he got bumped and he didn't get get sort of a full a full shot on it down the ice when they needed to clear the zone at the end of a, a long shift. He was tremendous. Like he was their best player uh, and, and their best player in the biggest moment. So credit to him. I, I, he, I think he sent a message, not with the offensive play and the point production in this tournament, but just in the competitiveness, how strong he was defensively, uh, all really, really positive. And to that end, I mean, he, he ends up being named to the media all-star team for this tournament. Uh, Theo Lindstein is the other defender on the team. I thought it was interesting. Lindstein gets on the media all-star team. Axel Sandin Pelica, given the directorate award for best defenseman. How, what do you make of that decision? Both of those decisions, really, Corey? I think that's the story of Sweden's blue line. I think it's the story of the blue line in general at this tournament. I don't think there was a standout defenseman at the tournament. The one guy who you can think he was the dude here. I don't think there was that player. You could have picked Hudson. You could have picked Sandin Pelica. You could have picked Lindstein. You could have picked maybe one or two other players on Sweden. You could have picked Maxim Sturback, even though he was out of the quarter, still had a great tournament. Uh, I, I think that was the kind of the theme here. Is that you looked at the Sweden blue line, it was six guys who all kind of came together really well, all played similar minutes often. Um, and I, you know, Sandin Pelk obviously was the QB one guy on the on the power play. Um, but but Lindstein got eight points without power play time, was very good at even strength. I think that's kind of where the divide came from a little bit. Um, but I mean, I thought Elias Pettersson played very well tonight. So I, I, you know, it just, uh, a lot of very solid blue liners all around on that team, but maybe not one guy who truly stood out. And you saw that in that the coaches didn't nominate a defenseman as one of their top three players. Maybe to Scott's point on, on Hudson, just going back to that, you know, he, uh, if, if you had told me before the tournament that he makes the all-star team without a goal or uh, and, and under a point per game, I don't know that I would have believed that. That kind of speaks to Scott's point about it doesn't all have to be just on the production. He had a, a strong overall showing there. Yeah, I mean, he was the best defenseman on the best team. And hard to argue yeah. with that. How about how about in goal? Hugo Haglund gets it. Obviously, I think the game's played factor for Trey Augustine. He gets the gold medal. I think he's going to lead this tournament in safe percentage when it's all said and done, but he only plays the four games. Yeah, I, I, that one's tough. The goalies are always, in terms of when we have to cast our ballots at the end of the first intermission of the gold medal game, the goalies are always uh, the most likely that feels like it's subject to change. I casted my vote at the end of the first period, at the end of the first intermission uh, for Hugo Havlid, but then he he lets in a few later in the game and Trey outplays him. And you probably wish, when it's all said and done, that you could sort of switch that vote, if you will. I thought Trey was great uh, when healthy, obviously dealt with a little bit of a bug earlier in the tournament, but when healthy, he was up to the task and incredibly can return for a third time as, as team USA starter next year. Right. So uh, he's putting together a pretty nice international resume for himself, notwithstanding the 16 year old gold medal game. Uh, he's now got a, a U18 golds and a world juniors golds and uh, world juniors gold and gets to come back next year and, give it another go on a USA team that has potentially 11 returnees in Ottawa. And he still has the, and Havlet still has the, it was in the prelim up metal round, mind you. He has the rare shutout of Ken on, on that yeah. performance, which I think is very notable. Goalies, as discussed, it is all very tough. Uh, you know, there was a point in time where I thought I was for sure giving it to Adam Guy on, and then they go out in the quarters. Then Michael Ribal has that monster game against Canada um, uh, in the quarters. Thought, oh, he's for sure going to get it. Then he gets 
pulled in the bronze medal game, you know, 10 minutes into the game. So uh, goaltenders, as always, are tricky, whether at the junior level or on the NHL level. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I want to ask you guys to get a little bit bigger picture here on, on this one because that, by the end of it, USA, I think, looked like the decisive best team at this tournament. I, even after two periods, they're up 3-2. They looked just like they had this edge on Sweden. Was it the fact that Canada went out early? Was it Did we over overhype the Swedish team? Why did U.S. manage to create the separation that they did by the end? Well, keep in mind, two years ago, like I said, they significantly outplayed Sweden. I don't think anybody really looked at these two rosters and thought that it was a it was a close battle between the two of these teams in terms of the caliber of the rosters. Again, you know, USA did win the U18 gold last year, and they probably should have won the U18 gold two years ago. They were clearly the better roster. You know, in terms of Canada, we as we talked about a lot already, it was a weaker age group for Canada this year. You can do the what ifs, 
What if they would have gotten Zach Benson? What if they would have gotten Kevin Porchinski? What if Tristan Luno and Tanner Molendick were, were healthy? You know, could things have been different? And never mind whatever an Adam Fantilli, something that's unrealistic, or Shane or Shane Wright. But but at the end of the day, it was a weak Canadian age group, and and they never really came close to the caliber of U.S. I mean, the, the elephant in the room um, is the fact that when you looked at the 04 age group, uh, the U.S. had historically been a really strong contender at the 04 level, but the other country that had always consistently performed really well at, at the 04 level was Russia. Um, you know, this was Matvey Mishkov and Ivan Mirosachenko's uh, age group at the Youth Olympic Games. And then, you know, at the Holinka, they, they were dominant. And of course, at the U18 level the previous year. And, and, and so, I mean, that's, you know, there's a whole bunch of what ifs and IIHF will keep answering these questions um, every year. And those are things that I, I'm not uh, skilled enough or knowledgeable enough to weigh in on in terms of what's the, when's the right time, you know, when will be the right time. Uh, but that's obviously something to consider when you think about who would have potentially have been a real opponent for U.S. It would have been fascinating to see, for example, a potential pair of Dmitry Simashev and Anton Salaev against this American team. I mean, that, that would have been must-see TV, I think. Yep. I mean, there's, I mean, it's not just in the context of, of Russia. I feel like we're doing this what if on the international stage right. very often, even at the NHL level right now. You know, one day we'll see Connor McDavid play Austin Matthews in the Olympics. Not sure when that's going to be, though. Yeah, that day's not today. Scott, one quick thought I wanted to ask you on, on David Carl, who now at 34 years old has an NCAA championship and a world junior gold uh, to his name. He, he's 34. He's really young. But obviously, the questions here are how long until. This guy could see, you know, NHL attention. Do you see him as an NHL coach in waiting at some point? At some point, certainly. Uh, I, I, I would be surprised if NHL teams hadn't already had conversations about him, whether that's for an AHL opening, that kind of a thing. Uh, there is no rush, as you mentioned, with his age. Uh, but even just in talking to him, he has a presence about him. If you get to know him, he's a, got a very dry sense of humor, uh, almost sort of blunt and to the point at times. Uh, but has a way with the players. You talk to players who played under him at Denver. Uh, you talk to the guys who played for him this year at this at this event. Just has a way of getting the best out of guys, of getting guys to buy in. It's not an easy thing to do with an age group as talented as this American group was to tell Will Smith that you're going to play 12 minutes, 11 or 12 minutes in some games that matter, uh, and that you're you're not going to be on the first power play unit, the first guy over the boards on the power play unit. Uh, so he handled some pretty unique challenges with this team. They had a stomach bug that went through them throughout the tournament. But at the end of the day, he, he has just gotten the job done at multiple levels now. And as a very young coach, it would be impossible to ignore the resume that he's begun to put together for himself. Awesome. Great stuff, guys. Any final thoughts here before, uh, before we throw it back uh, to the listeners? Uh, like I said, you know, obviously, you know, any, anytime we go to the World Juniors, it's a great experience, great tournament. Uh, I don't. I don't think this is the demise of Hockey Canada, though. I think when you start looking forward to next year's tournament and the and the team that can potentially put together, even the team that USA could potentially put together, presuming not a guarantee that Will Smith, uh, Gabe Perot, and Ryan Leonard are all are all back for Team US. I think uh, that New Year's Eve battle between Canada and USA is going to be must see TV. Yeah, that group Group A next year with Finland, Canada, and the US. You're likely looking at Canada, Finland on Boxing Day, and Canada, USA on. New Year's Eve and the people at TSN, the people at TSN are very happy about that. On the 16-year anniversary 
of Canada and USA on New Year's Eve in Ottawa at the Canadian Tire Centre. Uh, Canadians certainly all remember John Tavares' heroics in that game. I'm sure that a year from now, we're going to be seeing John Tavares do an interview with Mark Masters ahead of that game. So it's uh, there, there's going to be some nice buildup to next year's tournament. And they, those two teams on paper, you look ahead at this age group, it's a weaker age group for Slovakia and Czechia next year. Uh, the Swedes and the Finns will still be the Swedes and the Finns. Still a bit of a tough age group for the Finns. Uh, the Sw- Swedish group should be strong. They've performed well internationally, but really... The, the, the two favorites entering next year's tournament should be Canada and the U.S. So to have them in the same group, which doesn't happen very often, uh, is going to be good television for sure. And two years from now, not to lead you too far ahead, Corey, it sounds like uh, Minneapolis, Minneapolis-St. Paul is, is our destination it's, for 2026. No, it sounds like it is going to be Minneapolis and, and St. Paul as the host of the 26 World Juniors. And that should be you know a, a really fascinating tournament. Um, you know, Obviously, whenever we talk about the World Juniors, it's an event that you know, we talk about, you know, how much Canada appreciates it. We have can- Canadians who have traveled out and, you know, in the thousands here to, to Gothenburg to watch this tournament. Uh, you know, here, you know, obviously in Sweden, there was a ton of Swedes that, that showed out. But even when it's not in Sweden, it, it gets massive TV ratings here in Sweden. And frankly, in, in the U.S., you know, there is significant attention to this tournament, but it doesn't have the same, you know, kind of attention. It, it's on NHL Network, which most people don't have and you know and and uh, getting people excited about junior hockey in the, in the u.s is much more difficult than it is in canada um and obviously you know buffalo you know there are plenty of, of junior hockey fans in buffalo but when, when the tournament was in buffalo you can argue whether it was the prices you can argue whether they went back to buffalo too soon or had tournaments in montreal and toronto sandwiched in between it but people didn't show up to that tournament and it you know it was it was not an embarrassment, but, but a sore spot for, for USA Hockey in terms of how that event went uh, in 2018. But I think if anywhere in the United States the tournament is going to be a massive success, it's going to be Minnesota. Because that is a state that truly, deeply cares about amateur hockey. And I, I think there is a really strong chance for a, for a great turnout and a great event in Minnesota. Awesome. Great stuff, gentlemen. That's going to do it for us. Great work to you both all week in Gothenburg, all two weeks in Gothenburg. Uh, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. You can follow us on YouTube at youtube.com slash at the Athletic Hockey Show. And right now you can get a one-year subscription to The Athletic where you can read all of Scott and Corey's work for just $2 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. That's it for the World Juniors. We'll talk to you soon.